0: Hello there, it's Mary Stone on the screen porch, and I'm doing something different. I'm visiting you in the evening. It's not yet dark out, but I had a very busy day on the road and the last few days, actually, and the weather has been just spectacular cool cool mornings warming up in the afternoon just so delightful and before sitting with you this evening i have to say i discovered that the robins are once again nesting on the viburnum outside the kitchen window and i look forward to seeing what will come of it and i'm saying that not knowing for sure that i was going to be able to see the nest because it's much higher in the viburnum this time and the nest is so unusual because They started building it, and it was very loose, and then they actually added a second layer, so it almost looks like a condominium, a nest condominium. And at first I didn't think I'd get to see the birds in action, but uh, you can see them from the second floor. So there you go. It just goes to show there's more than one way to look at things, isn't there? We spoke about another robin family in episode 16, One World Robins of Renewal, that I invite you to tune into. It's such a heartfelt story that had... A sad Sunday that turned around with some happy sounds of their morning song. Cheer up, cheer up, cheer up. I think you'll adore this story. I'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks to those of you that reached back after last week's chat about the mile-a-minute weed dilemma. I visited with Elizabeth, a lovely client who moved back to Blairstown from Chicago to be near her family. She purchased a farm built in the 1800s. What a treat to see the outcome of a renovated and restored home painted in a dramatic yet soothing shade of dark gray with black trim. She implemented the design we worked on, filled with native plants and natural hardscape materials to enhance the gorgeous property's views and function while being kind to wildlife. Elizabeth shared her mile-a-minute dilemma squelching a shade garden she had planted. This year she'll stay on top of weeding it out, as we talked about last week. And she's also been pulling the Virginia creeper vines from her trees, which I never considered as a dilemma. I always thought of it as a favorable vine enjoyed by wildlife. Though I suppose if the foliage gets so aggressive that it inhibits the photosynthesis of the host plant, it could be a problem. But unlike wisteria, it doesn't choke a tree by the nature of the vine, which adheres to things with many little suction cups, kind of like what octopus have on their arms. I guess those are called suckers. It's really quite nifty, the design, and it turns out also that Virginia Creeper is often confused with poison ivy, which leads to this week's story that starts like this. Hello, fellow listeners and readers. When I was a girl, my sister dared me to rub a leaf all over myself. Even then, I was a plant person and always up to a I dare you challenge. The leaf was in a group of three, and I picked one and dutifully painted myself with it. I bet you know where this is going. I'm allergic to poison ivy, as are about 80% of us, some more than others. My reaction was awful, big surprise, causing my eyes to swell shut. Most people will react more to a repeated or extreme exposure, such as what dear sis challenged me to do. Long forgiven, though my counter-challenge to ride the red flyer wagon down the steep drive left permanent scars on her knees. Smiley face. And it's true, she has a big scar on her left knee, I think it is. What's the bright red vine I have growing up my tree? Poison ivy? Asked Josephine of Andover, New Jersey. As poison ivy turns a glorious bright red in the fall, it could be. But so does Virginia Creeper. The two are often mistaken for one another. But the telltale sign is Virginia Creeper has five leaflets. Poison ivy has three. And Virginia creeper has dark purple berries in the fall, while poison ivy has greenish-white ones. And as you would expect, there are photos on the column, which there will be a link for in the show notes. Virginia creeper berries contain oxalic acid, which is moderately toxic to humans and other mammals, but provides a food source for birds. The sap of the plant has needle-shaped crystals of calcium oxalate, crushing the leaves can prick the skin, causing irritation and blisters to some, so wear gloves when you're handling it. But it's nothing like poison ivy. As far as outcome, I'll have to say that. On the other hand, urushiol oil in all parts of the poison ivy plant, the leaves, the stems, roots and flowers, and even the berries, causes an itchy rash when people touch it. Yet poison ivy is commonly munched by many animals, such as deer and bears, and birds enjoy the berries. Both vines can cover trees or shrubs and even kill them by shading their photosynthesizing ability, which is why Elizabeth pulls them from the trees, but I adore Virginia Creeper scrambling along my boulder wall. While Virginia Creeper grows rampant in the wild, it's also an ornamental plant. It can quickly cover walls, keeping buildings cooler by shading the surface, and its fall color is a showstopper, that is for sure. It adheres to the surface by disks rather than penetrating roots, and so it doesn't cause a problem with masonry. But as with Boston ivy, ripping the plant from the wall can damage the surface a bit, but if you kill the plant first by cutting the vines at the root, the adhesive pads will eventually deteriorate and release their grip. So I don't consider it a problem plant, but again, with Elizabeth, I can see where if it's overtaking trees, it can be a problem. But before you wrestle down vines, it's best to ID what you're tackling. You may have heard the rhymes to help identify poison ivy. Leaflets three, let it be. Hairy vine, no friend of mine. And berries white, run in fright. (laughs) The oil remains active for years, so handling dead leaves or vines can still cause a bad reaction. And the oil can transfer to tools or pet fur and then to you. And that has been my dilemma, it is for sure, because when Jolie walks along the side of the road, there's so much poison ivy, and so I'm always very careful. There are easy remedies to remove the oil from your skin and your tools. I'll put a link in the show notes so you don't have to use all the fancy stuff. Good old Dawn dish detergent. I'm spilling the beans a little bit. Even if you think you aren't allergic, a whopping exposure, such as cutting up a down tree wrapped in a dead poison ivy vine, may cause a bad reaction. Isn't that right, Kurt? <laughs> if it's hairy, you better ask Mary. That was the funny ending of that story. I mean, it was interesting. It was the middle of winter when my neighbor and Kurt went to tend to this tree that fell across the driveway. And I warned them that that's a poison ivy vine, but they tackled it because both were not allergic. But Kurt got a heck of a case of poison ivy because of the overexposure, so be careful, like everything else. Speaking of neighbors, every time I walk the roads with Jolie, we stop at Susan and Don's house because she has to see if they're out working in the garden. And they were this week. In fact, Susan was tackling an invasion of wisteria left behind by Don's sister, who once lived on the property where they built their new home. I introduced you to Don and Susan in episode 96, Mending Fences with Forsythia. Susan showed me the thick wisteria roots trailing the surface. Talk about an octopus of roots! It was crazy. I never had considered that it would trail that way. And it is true that wisteria is considered invasive, unlike Virginia Creeper, which is not invasive. In fact, because it's native, it can't be invasive, and it's something you can manage, as I said. There's a little bit of a side note. I'm going to share it because I I really think it's important. And that is that sequel to Mending Fences with Forsythia is the neighbor was very irritated that Don actually just kindly mowed in front of the fence when he was mowing his lawn. And he took great offense. He made such a big deal about it that he put up signs about no trespassing. I mean, they're so unsightly. Now Don and Susan get to look at signs in addition to the chain-link fence. So for sure, her forsythia patch will have to be planted. But it just seems so odd to me that they're so angry about this piece of land that um, was once a right-of-way that uh, Don's sister had access to. And it just makes me think like invasive plants. Anger can get invasive too. Rather than that, we should show kindness and love for each other and be neighborly. Treat your neighbor as though they're family because we're all one in this world. So anyway, hopefully they will work it out and if they approach it with kindness and love, perhaps the neighbor's point of view or invasive anger will heal and they can become great neighbors, which is far better than having fences as neighbors, right? So thanks for coming by. I always enjoy our time together, and I appreciate it so much, all of you that write back to me. And those of you that subscribe, I want to thank you. And I invite those of you that haven't to do that so it magically appears in your feed. And please share the podcast with a friend or two so more can join us in learning and growing in the Garden of Life. It means so much. See you next time. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at Gardendilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag MaryElaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.